Welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. This is the first new episode, you know, not recorded ahead of time where we all fuck up our opinions of the 5500 XT. <laughs> this is brand new, coming to you just a few days before it comes out. And I'm your host, Tom, and I'm joined by my brother, Dan. But yeah, uh,. I hope everyone enjoyed the 11 years of being a PC gamer series. I think it was just three parts. I was considering more, but I realized, like, as much as I want more podcasts to a certain extent during the holiday season because of traveling, it does seem like people just watch and listen to less stuff. Like, I looked at the numbers at multiple YouTube channels, at podcasts, and it's like, yeah, people seem to just kind of tune out at the end of the year. Uh, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Everyone's with family, and why not tune out for, like, one week a year? <laughs> and it's just like, can we just have a break lately, too? Like, I'm sure, especially 2019, there was a lot of stuff, but uh, I'm sure nothing, I'm sure no big news stories will be breaking in 2020. <laughs> no, I bet everything just dies down now, and frankly, I don't really know what you're talking about in 2019. I wasn't paying attention to anything. <laughs> I will. Did something happen? <laughs> I do have to admit, like the some of the latest stuff going on. I just have literally tuned it out because I'm like, I'm I'm dumb. I'm just taking a break. I'll see you in February. That's when I'll start paying attention to stuff again. <laughs> Hopefully, World War Three hasn't started by then. Hopefully, we can give us a month off. Hopefully, two yeah, months off. Cool. I mean, they almost gave us a month off in December, and then hey, January started, and it's like here we go. <laughs> but anyways, um, how is how is your new year? So far, Dan. Um, I don't know. I guess it's been a continuation of 2019. <laughs> Not much has happened, so it's been fine, though. I don't know. Yeah, I've taken the I took like the last few weeks of December and the first week of January off just so I could reboot for my because uh, as many know. I have a main job, even though I don't talk about it much, because I find this much more interesting. And I gotta say, t- using all of my p- half of my PTO just to make videos <laughs> and go do <laughs> hot chips, it was uh, it was a it was a long year. It was a fun one, yeah. but I think this year is going to be even bigger for the channel, especially. This year is really, I've thought about it this morning, the first full year of the channel. I mean, last year, I was technically active the whole year, but there wasn't that much consistency. It was constantly growing the whole time. And I hope everyone noticed the increase in quality, at least. I have, as I go back and pull more and more old videos and go, that (laughs) that one wasn't good. But anyway, so let's get to the first reader mail here. John Maynard writes in, just like you can if you support us on Patreon. And he says, hey, Tom, did you ever think of having a post office box for gifts people might send you? And the answer is yes. In fact, I've considered having a lot of things. If you'll go back to January in 2019, you'll notice the camera and mic quality is, well, it's just me talking into a smartphone. So the mic quality was horrific in the beginning. And it's funny how I have like this list of upgrades I eventually want to do. And I'll, what usually happens is I'll remember that just didn't seem like it was worth the money. But then I'll check like six months later and be like, this is easily worth the money. <laughs> and it's just because of how much of a shift in support there was. I mean, when this first started, there was nothing. And the idea of a P.O. box, I mean, I don't even know if I would be doing this for more than a few months, right? Yeah. So, 
But yeah, so now there is a P.O. box that you can send things to. Moore's Law is dead. Uh, I'll probably open some of the boxes on Loose Ends episodes, I figure. And then letters will just open for this probably at some point. Like it's like it will lead, literally be reader mail. But anyways, the P.O. box is send packages. And this will be in the description. Moore's Law is dead. Yes, it is spelled exactly how it's always spelled. Moore's has the apostrophe in it. Moore's Law is dead at P.O. Box 10468 in Peoria, Illinois, 61612. So, yes, I am in Peoria, Illinois. Mm, a big reveal. I know. This Everybody is loves huge. Peoria. Yeah, right when I told people in the Discord, there were a couple jokes. And, of course, the Europeans immediately were like, what? what? Who Was there a thing remarkable about Peoria? Uh, they used to have a Pabst Blue Ribbon factory there, I think, right? Mm-hmm. They and Caterpillar. Yeah, Caterpillar's there. There's actually, it's one of those cities where it's like, oh, yeah, the biggest like construction company in the world's there. But yeah. Then, but, you know, nothing sexier than mining trucks. Yeah, everybody loves Caterpillar and thinks about them every day. Mm-hmm. Especially this audience, I'm sure. But, yeah. yeah, so I'm filing for a few other things as this channel attempts to become a big boy, just like AMD is. And so expect a new end of podcast, like, uh, what is it? Like, uh, thank you for listening to Broken Silicon thing. Probably within credits. Post credits, yeah. Yeah, coming in about a month. Not quite yet, though. I'm still working through all the upgrades to, like, is this a private business? Is, you know, do I need to trademark things? Like, who do I give thanks to now? And all that. So I'm actually putting a lot more effort into it, uh, too. So it should sound even more professional than ever before Woo. dan didn't know what to do with my i th- this is a audio medium so i couldn't do very much like hand waving around to show my excitement but now here's the thing this episode's probably going to be a gigantic one <laughs> yeah because we are using a lot of the stories from december we're gonna have to touch on those also ces so for those curious, this episode is being recorded right, I guess, right at the start of CES. Technically, it does start on Sunday, I believe, um, the January the 5th. And moving forward, it's just we're going to record Broken Silicon between Fridays and Sundays, maybe on a Monday or Tuesday, like I did before for the Threadripper launch, if I have to, for a very specific reason. But if we, we know there's a bunch of stuff coming out, it'll just have to wait till the next news episode, you know. And so, if there's some gigantic reveals at CES, well, I'll probably end up talking about it with my next guest, or there will be something next week where we touch on it. But, you know, we're just going to try standardizing things a lot more this year. You know, Broken Silicon episodes come out Wednesday in the free feeds. If you are a hitchhiker, they'll come out at least 12 hours, usually before, to the Patreon supporters. And that's for reasons it does take a lot of extra effort to put it in all the free feeds. You know, usually the episode's done and ready to go a day before I can even get everything up and running and perfected. And then you have to double check everything and make sure there wasn't some mistake. <laughs> yeah. So that's why that is, there is a legitimate reason the patrons get it first. And honestly, it's just easier to upload things to Patreon than any other system. There's a reason I use it. <laughs> yeah. And RSS feeds oftentimes don't really even update for people until like six to 12 hours later anyways. So, so which... uh, yeah. And I try to time it. So the RSS drops, a few hours before the YouTube, so they kind of come out around the same amount of time. 
Like, there, there's a lot of preparation for that. But, yeah, so expect Broken Steel Cons on Wednesdays now. There may be days where one comes out a Thursday or a Tuesday for a specific reason. But otherwise, really, Wednesdays is supposed to be when they come out from now on, I think. And if you want to get it on Mondays or Tuesdays, you know, early, like right when the news broke, just become a patron. <laughs> Those are the people supporting us. We've gained a bunch in December, and we continue to gain more every week in January already. So... Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll say that, too. Uh, consider supporting us if you have the extra money. It's like $2 a month, and you get Die Shrink, which is like every two weeks we put out a specific drilling in on a topic like self-driving or, like, you know, our games getting worse? What do we think? You know, all those, t- like, what's the future of work and automation? Like, that type of stuff. Um, if you, you get to vote on them, you get to support last-minute reader mail. And at the higher tiers, you get thank yous. You can get a call-out in the episodes. You get dedicated reader mail uh perks and extra snippets and videos i'll put out there on the patreon so it's really you know and i guess that's the last thing i'll say too is there's a lot of people who pledge a lot per month and then they'll cut it off just downgrade it to like two dollars a month a month early and then you have the whole year of die shrinks coming to you <laughs> there's also the flyer states there's a lot guys there's a lot um but yeah so we thank the patrons but before we get into corrections um, and omissions. Let's talk a little bit about CES ahead of time, just because I want to frame this up. I did add this at the last minute, like an article summarizing what we can expect. I, I'm going I'm to be honest, Dan. I expect this CES to have a lot, but it to all like the the giant CES of teasers. Um, yeah, I mean that makes sense to me. I guess I don't know how much like. Xbox and PS PlayStation are going to unveil. There's probably going to be something from them, but I suspect that they're going to have their own conferences where they really unveil what the new consoles are. Um, yeah, I wouldn't then, be surprised if they tease them though, like PlayStation and like reveals one feature each. Like they start revealing features and stuff like that. I really do think we're going to get teasers from everyone, but we'll save most of the next gen console talk for about five minutes from now. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I guess what are you expecting from, uh, from Silicon to possibly leaks. come from? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Intel, I, that's the one thing where I, I could see them revealing the entire lineup. Intel needs to tell people. I mean, the 9900K is what now? Is it? Yeah, it's it's going to be like the flagship for almost two years at a certain point. Like, or like a year and a half. And that is not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> so I do think they will show the entire series. I think they'll talk about Tiger Lake and how big of a deal that's going to be. And I do expect Tiger Lake to be very good, at least for a quad core. And only going to be on a mobile, correct? Probably. Though there yeah. are the rumors they'll port Willow Cove to 14 nanometer. Okay. But, but we'll have to see because all the rumors right now just show another Skylake with higher clock speeds more efficiency and two more cores as usual so while i think they might port willow cove to 14 nanometer or whatever cove they want to port i i just don't i'd be very surprised because everything i've been told is due to power delivery issues these the at least the top skus from comet lake s are going to be delayed to like quarter two or something like i know they'll paper launch it guys but it's going to be like not really until like end of quarter two probably greater availability and if that happens so then what willow cove would come out end of 2020 i mean maybe Um, i mean i guess that that would be odd yeah i i don't know (laughs) 
And at that point, I would almost wonder why they're porting it. Why not just put select paper launches of 10 nanometer chips with it? I, I, I do expect 10 nanometer to become a real node this year, although probably still not good enough for 10 cores. I don't know. But yeah, so I, whatever happens, I expect a big Comet Lake reveal. Um, and we'll see how that does with gaming. And I wouldn't be surprised if AMD's only response is just pointing out that Zen 3 is launching a few months after Comet Lake or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's not too much for them to talk about yet. I Like, they probably won't really talk about Zen 3 until, like, what, late quarter two? Yeah. Early quarter three, something like that. I, I think they'll do more and more teasers, and they'll talk about design goals in depth. Like, I think what they'll do is they'll say there will be another, if there is another big IPC increase, I think they'll make it clear. No, there's really going to be another big IPC increase. No, we're really going to increase efficiency. If they're going to increase the amount of threads, whether that's just through more cores or not, I think they'll say expect more cores at certain, you know, whatever's uh at different, you know, um, platforms. Like, that's the kind of stuff I'm expecting AMD to reveal. But I don't think it's in AMD's best interest to reveal a ton. I think it's in their best interest to make it clear ahead of time, though, that it's going to crush whatever Intel has. Um. Yeah, I guess that's true. And maybe something with APUs. Or have those been officially unveiled yet? Oh, I, yeah. I they could remember. do a giant APU unveil, too. I wouldn't be surprised if AMD did that. Yeah, but as I scroll down through here, that's pretty much what I expect. You know, maybe they'll show B five fifty, and I would not be surprised if Nvidia teased seven nanometer GPUs. I again, I don't expect a full seven nanometer lineup till the end of twenty twenty. I could see select models launching halfway through the year, but when we get to a point where it's like Turing, where you had the entire lineup, I, that was like end of twenty eighteen. I I really don't. Well, and again, they still keep launching stuff. I really don't expect a full lineup of seven nanometer GPUs from NVIDIA until. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of production for TSMC. So, I mean, if they are on seven nanometer, good for TSMC. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, I think NVIDIA will just have to wait for some of those new things to tool up for them to really get enough capacity out. Yeah, I mean, it honestly wouldn't surprise me. Um, if what they ended up doing is NVIDIA like launches a handful of flagship seven nanometers and then they even rebrand like the 2080 as the 26 as the 3060 or something with like faster memory and clocked lower. So it's more efficient. I mean, yeah, I guess we've seen stuff like that before. So that's not out of the question. Just so they don't only rely, you know, on TSMC. So I guess, yeah, that's pretty much. All the things we've seen about that we expect from CES. I guess the last thing I'll also say is I don't know if I have this at a story that we'll get to later, but I know there's this teaser that Turing will be 50% more performance and 50% less power usage. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of what I would expect from a die shrink. <laughs> it's at least what <laughs> AMD got, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we'll just have to see. But. I will say this, there will be reader mails in this episode, at least like a a decent amount, but not as much proportionally to the stories. We had to cut some out and put them into later die shrinks and episodes we have planned. But I will say that, all of the reader mails coming in, people, don't worry about it. We are going to get to them. It's just if I'm not using them in this episode, there is a specific episode I thought it would be better to use them for. All right, so let's get to the corrections, which again, that is on the... uh, the Discord, there is a channel in the Reader Mail channels for corrections, and we have one that I want to get to. Was a lot of people arguing about why me and Dan like the H three H three podcast? <laughs> I don't know who gives a shit. 
Yeah, but I had a funny thought, though, because I get why it's hard to show him to other people, Ethan and Hila, that don't get them. And I'm not insulting people by saying don't get them because, like, they're very, very weird and everything they do is sarcastic and kind of not sarcastic. <laughs> Like yeah, I don't, I, and I've been watching their videos for yeah, I, I just know, like discovered four years, four or five years now, and Tom decide just decided to listen to me a few months ago. Well, I mean, yeah, about yeah, about yeah, a few months ago, but yeah, so, but the way I would describe why I like H three H three, and a lot of comedians are friends with Ethan and Ela, and it's because it's like watching a very good comedian bomb for two hours. Like, as he just sits there to the crickets, and, like, he'll, like, make a joke that's, like, not good and kind of offensive, and then he'll, like, ask his wife, was that good? And she'll just say, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, if, if anyone's gone to, like, a comedy club during open mic night, which if you actually like comedy, you gotta go. It's almost better than seeing real comedians, because you'll see these really funny people trying to work through their material, and, like, it just doesn't work, and then they'll start laughing because they realized how bad it was. And I feel yeah. like that's just all Ethan does <laughs> is intentionally yeah, like, bomb. I, I went to open mic nights in college, and my favorite comedian that would come up, who unfortunately stopped, uh, was this girl that just her delivery was terrible, but I could see where where she was coming from, and the terribleness of her delivery kind of made it funnier mm-hmm. for me. So I mean, there's something there to just, that sometimes. There was just a room of people not laughing, and then me just <laughs> uh, la- belly laughing the entire time. So there's just one person in the room laughing his ass off the entire set. Well, yeah, that's but. a problem, too, at open mic night when I go. Like, I laugh at most of the comedians a lot, and so I'll be one of the only people laughing in the room. And I wonder if they think I'm being condescending or feeling bad for them, but I'm not. I actually think they're funny. Although there was this one really funny comedian who made a lame joke, and I couldn't help it. I just went, no. <laughs> when he said it, he just goes, who the fuck said that? And I was like, uh. <laughs> it was just silence. I didn't know it would be quiet. I thought other people would laugh, and then you just hear this, no, <laughs> out of the audience. <laughs> I thought, because I actually thought it was funny. I often say no to really dumb jokes I like. Yeah, but I, I don't know. And me and Tom have been fans of big fans of comedy and stand-up comedy specifically for like oh, our whole a really long time like i probably start saw my first like live stand-up when i was 12 or 13 years old oh yeah so yeah we're one of those families that goes to tons of stand-up and all of that stuff those are our rock stars yeah which we can all talk about forever if you want us to in a different podcast but let's move on <laughs> to another reader mail here um blokes writes in and he says in the case you missed it your last Loose Ends was at a 1080p 30fps stream instead of 60 frames, uh, which means that YouTube was re-encoding your 60fps video for no reason. I'm like, yeah, that's correct. Uh, and, and YouTube adds new features constantly. And so my default was high-quality streaming, which I have a good internet connection, a good camera. My PC's certainly always been powerful enough for this. And... Uh... <laughs> Uh, they just changed the menu, which changed all the defaults, I guess. So, yeah, I put all that effort into setting up my nice camera for that stream for the first time for it just actually look like one of the worst ones. Oh, I mean, yeah, YouTube's features in a lot of ways are just uh, making 
content creators' lives more difficult. So again, it's way easier for me to send you guys stuff through Patreon. That's why I like it so much. And I've thought of that too. Like if YouTube for some reason like finds some bizarre reason to ban me, which they have banned some people's videos recently that don't make any sense. Like at least I still have it spread across, you know, the SoundCloud hosting website and Patreon. So they can't all kill me at once. Yeah, I mean until they discover my manifesto. Yeah, I mean, yeah, keep that under wraps, I guess. For but. now, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and so, another uh, correction that was in Loose Ends, not a reader mail, but I noticed people point this out, is I have been saying Death Stranding is 60 frames per second. And you know what? Let me just pull up Google here and double check it. But I think I already checked this uh, frame rate. Like, I believe it runs at 30 frames here. And I guess I thought it was 60. And I'll admit I, I got it wrong, that one. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a very, very, very stable uh, 30 frames. And it occurred to me, I wrote down some notes here, why I probably thought it was 60. So I can assure you, I can tell that Borderlands on PS4 Pro, despite, I guess, running about as well as it does on a high-end PC, unfortunately... <laughs> Uh, is not a solid 60. I think you can tell that, right? Oh, God, yeah. It drops all the time. But Especially <laughs> especially when there's 40 explosions going on, which that can happen I, I in that game. I get the feeling it's generally running between 30 and 40 on Borderlands with some dips yeah. below 30. For sure, some dips. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I, but there's so much going on on screen. There's so much movement and colors that it's obvious. And it occurs to me in Death Stranding, it's a lot of static landscapes. There's almost nothing to compare the frame rate to. So yeah, that's probably I mean, why it's... it feels like 60. It's a, it's probably a really, really, and I saw other people say this in the Loose Down comments too. Like, hey, don't get me wrong though. It's one of the most smoothest running games I've ever played, which it is. So it must just be static environments and really good frame pacing. Um, I mean, yeah, that would ha be my guess. I mean, if more were going on on screen at any given time, maybe it would be more noticeable that it's not 60 and locked at 30, but. I don't know. <laughs> I also have one uh, correction and omission here about the 5500 XT, but I think we'll save that for later. Let's get to the final reader mail before we dive deep, 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 balls deep into the stories, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Tried to be off-putting. Just so you guys know, that's not how I normally talk. Liebel Kinkilo writes in, and he says, can you wear that horrible festive checkerboard eyesore more often which i'm actually Tom wearing right is now wearing it right now yeah. it's a good pajama jacket you know it is just awful and i'm amazed it took someone time to make that you look like a christmas lego version of the joker i'm a fan of that joke <laughs> kind of do uh anyways tom when you play a game and have 10 or more tabs open while encoding what is your average utilization of a 3950x i have a theory that breaking 30 percent is 55% of a 3900X's identical application load. Well, I mean, let me see. I have my task manager open now. When I'm, like, zooming around these tabs and stuff, with a, it's really most of the... It doesn't get that much utilization when a bunch of tabs are open. It's just when you open them all at once, and there's a certain lagginess, even if it doesn't go... You know what I mean? Dan passes certain utilization just because it yeah. really does have to dither up so many of these tabs at once. But yeah, when I'm doing that in encoding and playing Battlefield, 
Um, I, it mostly uses the GPU for encoding, so it's not like it loads. It really just loads up about six threads and then loads up the GPU to 100%. And then for some reason yeah. I can play Battlefield because it's using like the encoder part of the GPU. <laughs> like, But doing all that, yeah, it's, it's it hits – It's you've seen it, Dan. It's about, about 45% usage. Yeah, and – it pretty rarely jumps above 30%, but yeah, it will get there sometimes if you're doing a lot of tasks at once with it. But yeah, that's the one thing I will point out with the 3950X is it uses less energy at peak load than the 3900X typically. And so what that means is it's using less energy while powering four more cores, often at higher boost clocks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it isn't as simple as, oh, you're paying, you know, 40 per- I don't know what it is, right? You're paying like what what is it? Like 40 like 50% more for only 33% more performance. It, it's more like 30 like 35%, 40% more performance while using less energy, which is impressive. Yeah, I mean and it's just a matter of it's a matter of who it's worth it for and I suspect there aren't many people that the 3950X really is worth it for them, mm-mm, but mm-mm. yeah, like it is for you. Like, I think most people, what they should max out at is probably, like, the 3800X. I think I've said that before, but... Yeah, and we'll get to that later, but... So, I guess there's your answer, Lebo King Kilo. I, I, I guess let me say this. If I had a 3900X, I'd be fine. But I do yeah, enjoy it... how much quiet... I do enjoy the less power usage a little bit, and I do know that there have been times I've really loaded this thing up, and I at least... Here's the thing about the 3950X. I wanted my old... Haswell i7 days back because I remember when I got the Haswell i7 I could be encoding with handbrake I could be uh, playing Battlefield 3 and have a bunch of Chrome tabs open at the same time and I would be at like 70% usage I miss the days where my PC just did what I told it to and I didn't have to worry about what I was doing and I don't anymore with the Gen 4 SSD as well like I was, and I saw someone in the comments go, "What do? You, when would you ever be saturating 3.5 gigabytes per second of bandwidth?" Well, I'll tell you when. When I'm loading a battlefield map, <laughs> copying a hard drive, and encoding a video at the same time, and I've saturated several SSDs, and my one Gen 4 is saturating multiple hard drives. It's moving files back and forth between, both copying to the drive and from it. That's why I have that. Also, it wasn't much more money. It was 150 dollars for a terabyte, guys. That's <laughs> it's like the price of some Gen 3 SSDs. Yeah. And look at look for those Sabrent ones. We talk about me and NFC talk about that in a podcast coming out later this month. All right, so we've gotten to all of that. There will be a few reader mails in the future, but now it's time to dive into the stories. The abyss. And oh. the first thing that I think we should that I, I just put it as like a couple stories here. The what is it, digital foundry analysis of like uh, your it wasn't oh. a, Yeah, it is digital. They're the same. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Uh, like kind of summarizing their information about both PlayStation 5 and the next Xbox. Yeah. Yeah, so did you, what, what's your general impression after watching? Well, let me say this. So what they do is they go through all of these, I think it was like uh, benchmarks and like uh, specs of the console of these different devices and tests that were run. And like these were like stored on GitHub or something. I'm probably butchering the story, but the, what you guys need to know is what they're saying is the PlayStation Five is like 36 compute units clocked incredibly quickly at like two gigahertz, um, with a 256 bit bus, and that it of course has an eight core Zen two CPU. 
and that the next Xbox showed 56 compute units with, you know, 560 gigabytes per second of bandwidth, which a lot of people are assuming is 384-bit, but I'm like, mm, no, I've always been told Big Navi will be another 256-bit, and then they'll use HBM. They'll also have an HBM controller for the top yields. You know, that's what it, you know, and then, of course, a faster clocked or higher IPC Zen CPU. Just the CPU is better uh, in the Xbox. Xbox. Um, So what was your, like, what are your impressions of this rumor? Because people are, I see a lot of people asking me about it. So my my guess would be then this will end out with the Xbox One being a bit, not the Xbox One. The Xbox the, One Series X, X1, XX. I think it's just the Xbox Series X, right? I don't know. Um, just say the next yeah. Xbox. I These names are... That's probably a placeholder it, name, too. So, uh, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm guessing the top lines X, next Xbox, because given the fact that they're calling it the Series X, I feel like they're probably going to be doing multiple SKUs, right? I mean... I mean, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. And, and this is the top line one, and it's going to be a bit stronger than the PS5. Well, decently stronger, depending on how the final hardware all lines up. But And you say in those notes that these are probably PS4 dev kits, which uh, I have no clue. That's But, uh, well, well, no, that's my problem is I actually have a pretty giant problem <laughs> with everyone taking this on face value. And what I find particularly weird is that Digital Foundry sees the more recent Xbox info and says, take a bigger pinch of salt with that. But we should all just blindly believe that Sony's using a RX 5700. Yeah, I mean... Th- I think they say I a feel like that's just confirmation of, bias. I think they say a pinch of salt with that because the the evidence based on what they've said, which I don't fully understand how they procured everything, but based on the evidence they have the the PS five room the PS five uh, rumor is more solid, even if it might be more outdated. But it's older, even if it's it like might be outdated. Old. Yeah. And and so like it's like what do you think they were using and uh, let me well, let me just start this conversation kind of like this too to everyone here listening what do you think they put in the first PlayStation Five dev kits they did not have big Navi yet you're gonna put an, a Navi Ten with faster memory and a Zen Two Eight core or like what do you think like, was in that's what you can make or like what do you think was originally <laughs> in like PS4 and Xbox One dev kits it wasn't the final specs of the console the dev kits are meant at this point are meant so they can start developing for their future platform, even if this isn't the final specs that they're going to have. The architecture is really similar. The CPU architecture is the same. All they need to do is put in like the latest NVMe SSD, a RX 5700 that they give the fastest GDR6 on the market, and then they'll just throw in an 8-core Zen 2, and they'll just say, hey, the final console will be 20% 20% better than this and start working on your plans for how to use the new SSD. You'll have to plug that into your engine like eight months before it comes out. Yeah. But just get the engine working. And we understand the first launch games. Most of them probably won't take full advantage of the new storage yet. Like, and they'll just say, whatever game you make, get this running at like 50 frames a second in 4k and whatever settings you got to use. And the final one will definitely run 60. Yeah, I I mean, I guess 
Uh, I, I guess, yeah, I pretty much agree with you. I, I just don't think the specs are finalized yet. Like you said... Uh, For either of them, I don't Yeah, think. yeah, of course. I mean, they're probably not going to unveil them until February or March. And when was this story originally published? It was in December, right? Yeah, but I think there's a newer version of it. The point is this. I did like one thing in that Digital Foundry video uh, that he points out, which is all of the custom hardware that Mark Cerny keeps talking about. I think that's the big thing everyone's just completely missing. Like even some other tech tubers that I really like. Like there's just this complete missing of the fact that, like again, let's take a step back here. What we know is Microsoft typically... I, I think what we can honestly say is that Microsoft thinks they did a good job with the Xbox One X. It was perceived well. It got good reviews. Sales, you know, didn't catch up to Sony, but it wasn't mocked I mean, at it's all. A good, and it was really... Yeah, it's a good machine. It's easy to program for, too. So I see that being their path forward. Although I do resent people always per- acting like what someone did in the past, they're going to do again. I don't think it's that simple. But I do think it's just going to be very much so brute force. Hey... For under six hundred bucks to manufacture, you know, and maybe they'll sell it at a loss for five hundred. What can we make that has? What's the best we can get? Actually, is honestly what I think Microsoft's doing. I don't even think they're necessarily thinking about a performance target. I think they're just going, "What's the best we can get?" And it's probably going to be some kind of cut down big Navi with a NVMe SSD. And now, what special features it has? I'm not sure yet. Right. And uh, Microsoft confirmed that they're going to have. Uh ray traced acceleration right yeah but big navi will so. yeah i know I, I i mean to jump to the ps another article uh from i think bgr uh no not bgr from wccf tech there's a rumor that uh the ps5's ray traced thing might not be on amd yeah and that's something this and so this is something people are missing. And yeah, so that leads me right into my major point about the PlayStation. I believe Microsoft is just trying to make a good powerful console and they'll buy the best they can because they can afford to and sell it for 500 even at a loss. That's just what I think they're going to do. And I think the next PlayStation had an actual target in mind just like before. The PS4 well, <laughs> yeah. The PS4 had, well, I was going to say, that's a, I could start at the PS3. The PS3 had a target, making the thing work with cell, <laughs> <laughs> which didn't work out well in the beginning. But the PS4 had a pretty clear target, 1080p, ultra, 30 frames per second, and we're going to use the hard drive to install every game. They streamlined uh, games on PlayStation 4 actually install about twice, three times as fast as the Xboxes do. Yeah. And that's because they actually put effort into a dedicated, separate, like, decompressor encoder to do it quickly. They they said, this is the technology. What's the best we can do? They had the same amount of asynchronous compute units as a 7970. They knew that we were going to use GPGPU to accelerate you know, some of the computations because the CPU is going to have to be efficient and not clocked very fast. Same thing with PS4 Pro. They said, well, what new technologies are coming? And they got FP16 before any other product that AMD was selling, and they used it to great effect to basically make half 4K games look almost as good as 4K. This is, so they don't need as much brute force. You know, they, they, they have targets. And I do believe Sony's target has been clear from the beginning. They want everything 
Besides the CPU clocked super fast, the fastest storage, the fastest memory, the core clocks fast because faster cycles with the fastest storage is going to make this thing have insane load times. And I believe that's what their plan has been the whole time. And then I think they're kind of just targeting quality of life things like a dedicated separate audio chip, a dedicated ray chasing, ray tracing chip, a separate ARM quad core with its own ddr4 for background tasks yeah and for streaming you know i i think we could see so what is that right uh background task chip ray tracing chip audio chip encoder like we could have four or five dedicated little chips around this soc yeah and i think they're trying to do it for four hundred dollars because they realized <laughs> breaking from the four hundred dollar price point did not work very well um are what did the ps2 launch for i actually don't remember was that or do you? I think it was three hundred. Okay. But I think Sony wouldn't. I think there was like a four hundred dollar version with a hard drive okay. eventually or something. But no one quote me on. I, that. I don't think Sony would ever try to do six hundred dollars again after what happened with the PS3, even though it was a, still a pretty successful console. I think, I think it's a hybrid of different strategies here. I mean, uh, people, you know, again, it's like so. And I'll get back to Xbox. When it comes to PlayStation, I think when you have a very, very well-selling console that precedes you, there are just some things you have to do. So they need backwards compatibility now. So that was the other thing I forgot to say, that they will. this thing was clearly built for backwards compatibility. And we have several rumors, and we've had them for a while. Rumor, and I've been saying it would just be common sense for them to really drop the mic by having backwards compatibility all the way to the PlayStation 1. Like, all the way back. Like, this is the ultimate PlayStation console for a reasonable price. And that's what I guess I would say. If, if these performance targets are correct, even if it's a bit stronger than this leak, I think that's what... Yeah, I think Sony... So, I think Sony's targeting a reasonable price, but with tons of features. Yeah. I, d I don't think the audio and all of that's going to be that hard to program for. Not like before. Um. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the real big question with backwards compatibility seems seem to be whether... PS3 is doable, which I suspect with this hardware emulating a PS3 will be, but <laughs> you never know. That that's a it's such a weird console where like the CPU is still stronger than the PS4, arguably. It is stronger than the PS4 based on so uh, if you ask Sony's first party devs, most of them will say it's stronger. Mm -hmm. If you ask third party devs, they'll say they're about even, if not a little weaker. But um this is the first party devs put in the effort just to you know, get the most out of it so they know it was more capable. Yeah. I mean, it was running 256 player mag, right? <laughs> like with massive maps bigger than Battlefield 4 or something. Like, yeah, it was a powerful CPU. But, anyways, backing up here. So, the, the problem I see when people compare these is they just look at brute force and they go, oh, next Xbox is stronger. Or you'll see people go, oh, the PlayStation's going to be stronger because the PS4 was. And all these people are fanboys, I've noticed pretty much. And that's the one thing I would throw out there about Digital Foundries. They've had a hard-on for Xbox since the Xbox One X. And there are several channels that clearly have a hard-on for PlayStation. I think, I think these are going to be very fun to compare consoles. But this gets me to um, the way both of them can win. And look, Sony will get like an insta-win if they have backwards compatibility, a bunch of cool features, and they nail the price. 
as long as it works well. I know that sounds like a dumb caveat, but it is a real caveat. As long as it works well, as long as the new PlayStation Store is smooth, as long as, you know, you know, there aren't some weird, ridiculous features it's missing. As long as they do everything you would expect and do it well, and then they say, hey, it's 400 bucks, 4K60, backwards compatibility, I think they just walk away with this gen, pretty much. Unless there's some major blunder. But if there's a blunder, people are ready to walk away, I feel like. Or people are ready to not upgrade. Again, most people aren't that hungry to upgrade. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know this is hard to believe for a lot of PC gamers, but I know a lot of PlayStation people and Xbox people that could not give less of a shit about next gen right now. That they're enjoying Death Stranding and like, I don't know what else just came out, right? Like Gears of War 5 and all these games, and they run fine on their consoles. Yeah, I mean, like... By the time the PS4 and Xbox One came out, the PS3 and Xbox 360s, they were really, really being stretched to their limits for what they could do. And yeah, they basically didn't even work anymore in the menus. Yeah, and you could argue the same by some metrics here, but it's like the PS4, I, I don't have an Xbox One, so I can't, I, I don't know if like their operating system has slowed down over the updates, but... I've, I've heard it still works. Okay. At least the Xbox One X works fine. Yeah, and my PS4 Pro still works fine for that. Some people complain about the store. I've never really had issues with the store that other people no, complain about. No, we do have SSDs, though, in our PlayStations, and I do wonder if that's part of it. Yeah, because I don't know. Because when an SSD is like 60 bucks, I'm like, yeah, I'll put a one terabyte SSD in here. I don't know. <laughs> it seems like some people might just get better, like, network cards playstations or, or something yeah i don't that, know there's a rumor about that that some of these consoles get better cards or something like and i think some people have tried to prove it before but we're getting yeah, a yeah. off subject there what were you saying um and games still run fine on them and they still look good you don't see a ton of games yet that do have like frequent frame drops below like 20 frames per second which if it doesn't drop below that it's usually tolerable um uh, and yeah, the, it's just the PS4 and Xbox one, especially the Xbox one X and PS4 pro, they still are competent gaming machines, even if they're not nearly as strong as, uh, uh, high end, uh, gaming, uh, PC. Um, so, well, they're not that far away too. I really got to point that I, I out. Know. Then the, I, I, it pisses me off because I don't think people get it. If you don't have like a 5700, you're not that much better than an Xbox One X. It's a 384-bit Polaris card with like 40% more cores. It's even clocked at like 1172 megahertz or something. Like this, it's not that weak. It's it's like an RX 590. So if you're below an RX 590, you're below the Xbox One X. Yeah, so all this to say is I really don't... Although its CPU is certainly substantially weaker. <laughs> All of this to say, though, I really don't think that there's a huge hunger for a next-gen console yet. So Microsoft and PS5 and Sony are going to be trying to convince you that you should upgrade. Whereas before, I feel like people were begging for an upgrade. And, I mean, they essentially didn't oh, yeah. make the PS4 and Xbox One until as late as they did because of the Great Recession. And we haven't really had that this gen. So I... So it's more Microsoft and Sony like, okay, we need to make a new console now. <laughs> yeah, well, and so I that actually that, that hunger to make you want to upgrade perfectly leads me into the main points, though, is the way I think Microsoft. The, so again, what do I think Sony's zinger is? Like they win 
if they nail backwards compatibility and features, and then they also price it at a reasonable price, because then it's like, what? It's only four hundred dollars. I got a PS4 Pro for that much four hundred four years ago, not four hundred years, <laughs> four years ago, and for just four hundred dollars, I can go from you know, let's just call it fourteen forty p thirty frames per second gaming to four K sixty ray trace surround sound with the ability to play my old PS3 games done done and done <laughs> and i think what microsoft can do too is just have a really powerful console that runs windows and i feel like they have a perfect this is the perfect year to just carve out a new idea which is if you're a fed up pc gamer or you know who's tired of having to pay a thousand dollars for something that doesn't feel that much stronger than what a thousand dollars got you a few years ago? Here is something for even six hundred dollars that crushes a high end, that crushes most PC builds. And guess what? You can boot into you know Xbox OS, and it runs just like your previous Xbox. It runs all of your Xbox games. Put the Xbox disc in three sixty. Well, I guess yeah, and I know that one is backwards compatible. So Xbox. Original, I can't call it Xbox One. The original Xbox, Xbox 360, Xbox One. Put those discs in, and you can play them in the through the Xbox OS. And if you want to boot into Windows, go ahead, play your Steam library. Or even if they don't let you do that, maybe they'll let you literally just natively run Microsoft Store games. Yeah, and I know, I know there have been some criticisms of saying putting full Windows on the Xbox is a far fetched idea, but I really don't feel like it is like they've been slowly migrating away from xbox being its own brand of consoles and more xbox being a just like an idea like this is just the way microsoft puts out games like i have an xbox app on my pc most of you do (laughs) yeah they make you have it (laughs) yeah and and so if you what they could just do is sell games to the Microsoft Store, and if you buy it on the Microsoft Store, or if you buy an Xbox disc, it lets you play it. Maybe well, no, I, I would assume an Xbox disc will still just work in the Xbox OS, but it could give you a copy on the Microsoft. And Store. And I'll also ask, like, what was the when what was the last major Xbox release that was solely on an Xbox console? It, Halo, right? I think so. And now, even though even though I think. Even though there's like a multiplayer map editor on PC, I don't believe the full game's on okay. PC still. I don't think. People can correct me. I really don't think. You know, so I, I, I just, it would blow me away. So that for me is just a blunder. And I want to be clear too. I think Microsoft could get away with selling this for $600 when it comes out. If it was this power, if it was as powerful as, you know, the equivalent of like a thirty not thirty seven hundred X and a twenty eighty Ti with an NVMe drive. If they did that, they and it has a Blu-ray player, right? Also has a Blu-ray player, and it's also a like a compact ITX gaming build. If they did that, they could sell it for six hundred, and I think people would flock to it. So many people in the comments have said once I brought up that idea of like, what if it just ran full Windows for six hundred bucks? Like, yeah, and also to add to that, I think. That would be a really good purchasing option if they did that for a lot of people that play video games on PC that buy pre-builds. Like, oh, just get this instead from Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could just take the pre-built market. <laughs> just like, 
that done. I just snapped my fingers so everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I I just feel like it would be and so now I want to so I don't want to get too much into the specs. I just want to say that based if that leak from Eurogamer uh, slash Digital Foundry is correct, then I think it's pretty obvious what like like and so let's just pretend that's correct because I think that's what's fun. Three let's do three scenarios. Like there's a bunch of combinations of things that can happen, but I just want to throw out a few. So I think the one where they both win is Sony nails the price at four hundred dollars, or maybe you know four twenty nine. I think honestly, I think at this performance level they should do four hundred. Let's say they, and I don't think it would cost more than four fifty to make so or five hundred. So I think they should just nail that price. And the price to pro- the way th- yeah, and the price to produce would drop significantly pretty fast. So it's a lot. Yeah, later. for for exactly. So for four hundred bucks, you get a twenty eighty super. You know, like a like, and the equivalent of like a twenty seven hundred X, and then it also has faster loading than any other gaming device, literally <laughs> that you can buy. Better than Titan RTX ray tracing. It has, and it has great like the equivalent of a great sound card. So you're getting like a twenty seven hundred X, uh, twenty eighty Super, better than Titan RTX ray tracing, a dedicated sound card, uh, a Blu ray player. And then again, you know, you just drop the mic and you can play your PS3 games and they'll upscale them or something. That's going to do well. And at the same time, Microsoft can go, hey, look, all of your Xbox games run on this. And they now run at it easy 4K60, ray trace locked. And if you want to boot into Windows and play your Steam library, that's there too. Go for it, man. And they could just carve out different markets and both do well, right? Yeah. That's one scenario. Well, let's talk about the scenario where I think Xbox could really just blunder themselves. Is I think no matter what happens, the next Xbox will be perceived better than the Xbox One, right? <laughs> like people will say it's better than what they did. It'll be, it'll be. I think it's poised to get a good reception. I mean, I don't know how you could do a worse release than the Xbox, uh, worse unveil than the <laughs> Xbox One, but yeah, right. But I think it's pretty safe to say the Xbox One, and I know some people will argue with me, but they don't release numbers, so people are guessing. And I'm going to say, look, I I talked to you about this last night, Dan. It's like when you look at the previous gem, it was really Europe and Japan that allowed the PS3 to sell more. It sold about, I don't don't remember the ratio, like 60% to 100, like like, like a 2 to 3 ratio at best, where the 3 is the Xbox 360 and the 2 is the PS3 in America, North America, and England. Like, right now... When I go to people's houses, it's like one out of four people have an Xbox, whereas before it was like three out of five. Yeah, and it's the same for me. Everyone has a PS4. Some people have an Xbox One. Yeah, and it's so it's not like it's doing as bad as some consoles have where you just never see them, like the Wii U. <laughs> I think I saw one once in an actual house, but... It's clearly doing half as well. And we know that the Xbox 360 sold about 85 million. So I think these arguments that it's selling more than half, it's not. Like I really would I would I would want hard numbers to believe it sold more than even 40 million, honestly. Like I just don't see it. Um but so let's say it's 40 million or th- let's say it eventually gets to even 50 million. I could see a scenario where even though the next Xbox is perceived well, it doesn't actually sell as well as the Xbox One. Because I think people were du- just just desperate for a next-gen console. And that really boosted sales for both the PS4 and Xbox One, no matter what. Yeah. You know what I mean, though? Yeah. Like, and 
Microsoft won't see this as a loss because it's like, well, we sold. It's like a product in the Microsoft brand. Well, this product that sold—it's a Series yeah. X. We're going to upgrade it anyways. This isn't like we stop it for fifty million. We don't care. We're going to keep selling this for a decade. Yeah, in different it's versions. Like, yeah, th- th- but, sure. This... Correct, but that—that's the one where they do well. So what I'm saying is, I could see a scenario. So this is the scenario where Xbox does bad. This is scenario two, where. PlayStation, again, let's just pretend this is a scenario where PlayStation pretty much nails it. Nothing magical, but they have the sound card, ray tracing card, streaming abilities, the great price, backwards compatibility. And then the Xbox comes out, and they don't run full Windows. They price it at $500 to the $400, and they go, yeah, but ours is stronger. And then PlayStation's marketing is simple. They just go, oh, yeah, yours is more brute force. Ours loads games twice as fast. It has better ray tracing, a dedicated sound card. Are you going to notice that different performance? They're going to optimize the games to run at 60 hertz on both consoles anyways. You're not even going to notice it. What you will notice is the better ray tracing. You will notice the better surround. And you will notice all these exclusive games. And so even though the next Xbox from a hardware nerd point of view will be perceived well, there wouldn't be a reason to buy it. It costs more. It doesn't have the PlayStation games. And Sony can just market the surround sound, the loading times, and be like, you're going to notice the loading times more than that extra blade of grass. Which, yeah, I mean, I feel like people hype up Ultra Specs on PC a lot. And I want you, like, I want people to like look at Ultra Specs on PC, change it from Ultra to High. Most games, it's like there's a couple more 3D textures. It's not really that big of a difference at this point. I mean, I mean, half the time it's literally not noticed. And with better, and if the PS5's uh, ray tracing is be- uh, is better, it will have better lighting. Which the games that I've always perceived to have the best graphics, at least for me, it's always been good lighting is what really does it. I guess lighting and textures, yeah, and pretty much. And I mean, I guess we don't know if the PS5's ray tracing will be superior yet. But if PS5 no, is don't. going to a a different vendor to make some like FPGA or ASIC for it. I don't, I don't understand how, why they would do that unless it were a better option. I guess if it were cheaper than just using AMD's option, possibly. But yeah, um, but so yeah, so that's scenario two, right? And so that's why I, even if it's stronger, if they bungle up a few features, like what if they do just use like a Gen three SSD? Or a slower Gen 4, and the PlayStation has a dual host, like 6 gigabyte per second. You know, Sony will just say, well, we can load games. We can load two games at once. As we were talking about, you know, like, we can, it doesn't matter. Like, we can do things that this can't do, and it has extra trees in the background, I guess. Who cares? So that's the bad scenario for Xbox. But then the bad scenario for Sony, which, again, I could see happening, is really, unsurprisingly, if they just get cocky, I think. And they and lazy, so we already basically know what the PlayStation is. I I got some leaks about it. I mean, a year ago was some of my first videos. We know they're targeting all these features like backwards compatibility, fast loading, blah blah blah. The way Sony screws this up is they get cocky. They say we know the next Xbox has better brute force, but you know what? We think the loading times, the ray tracing. All of that mean it should cost the same or more. Yeah. And then they end up ch- selling it for 500 and then maybe the Xbox gets really, really aggressive and puts it at 450 If they charge more and Microsoft can advertise it stronger, I don't know. That's It's just kind of a value perspective where people always want to know if they're paying 
more they have the better console or they have the more performance yeah. and they don't it's not that the strongest console always wins it's a very it's a confluence of factors the ps3 ended up winning but it became the same price pretty quick and it had like blu-ray like there it was complicated so it didn't just win and it went narrowly against the 360 because it was stronger. And the PS4 didn't just beat the Xbox One. It's because the Xbox One was more expensive. Guys. Yeah, and that, that, there's still an argument that the PS3 isn't stronger than the Xbox 360. Some people still argue it. But, yeah, anyways, the way... Yeah, but so that's how Sony would screw it up, is they would just go, you know what, we're going to charge $500 as well, and we think it overall looks better and loads faster. And then maybe they screw up backwards compatibility. Maybe it has PS4 backwards compatibility, PS1 backwards compatibility, but PS2 and PS3 is like half working. And then maybe they don't do enough upgrades to the PlayStation Store to compete with xCloud or something. Like, I, I just see that is how... And then and then Xbox actually puts Windows on it and they sell it for 500 and They're like, hey, all of your PC games are here. Why are you bothering with this thing that's weaker and costs the same amount? That's how Sony screws this up. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I hope neither of them screw it up. I hope... Well, I guess I can't say all of their consoles, but at least how they the mentality of the PS4 of just nailing 1080p Ultra at a reasonable price point, you know, putting a dedicated encoder so you can install games on the hard drive quickly. I, I like that they're thinking, like, let's just make it so load times literally don't exist anymore. You know, all this other stuff. That's the type of stuff that gets me really excited. Yeah, I mean, and it seems like both both well, are well. Microsoft's carving a new market, relatively targeting really fast load times. I it seems like Sony's emphasizing it more. And, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think both are primed to possibly have really good consoles. And I mean, yeah, obviously, I hope both put out a really good product because that's best for everyone. <laughs> so yeah, story number two actually was the ASIC FPGA story. Yeah. We've kind of combined multiple stories into one. The last thing I want to say about these consoles is when they'll announce, because I've been thinking about it. I really don't know why Sony would announce a lot of stuff ever, right? Like, they're going to have to announce it eventually, but I think there's a chance both of these guys are just going to keep teasing little things at CES, and we'll see, right? We'll see what happens at CES. Maybe I'm wrong when this podcast comes out, but I just don't know why they would sh Sony would show their hand before Microsoft, or vice versa. <laughs> well, I think Microsoft kind of has to, actually, because they're behind, but... But I think it's in Sony's best interest to kind of wait to see the next Xbox's price so they can announce theirs later. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. I don't see them wait either of them waiting till E3 to unveil. So I feel like we'll I feel like we'll have a good idea of what they are truly, but like from the in the next 2 to 3 months. But But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they just do things in stages like here we are running a game and they say nothing about price and then they reveal how it looks later, hopefully much later so it doesn't look like junk cuz that dev kit looks horrible for the PlayStation. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's the last thing I will say is I'm not so sure. I think we'll know everything within three months, but I wouldn't be so sure there's a race to show things. I think they really might want to hold it to their, you know, to hold all the cards to their chest closely. Because whoever reveals first, the next one can come back and say ours is cheaper. Yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if they did the same thing that happened with Navi? <laughs> like, and they just start lowering the price before it comes out together. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, that was number stories one and two, probably about half of the episode. <laughs> Let's move on to story number three. Now, this was one Dan saw in December that he wanted to add, and it's about the cost of a fully decked out 
Mac Pro. And how much does that cost? Was it fifty three thousand dollars? Fifty two or, or fifty three thousand. There's not too much to say here because I don't think anybody. Well, maybe there's one or two people that would be interested in this that listen to this stuff. But based on what I could tell, it, it, there was a bunch of stories I saw about like how expensive it is because it's an Apple product. So lazy tech journalists need to write a story about how overpriced something is. Yeah, because they think they're going to get free brownie points if they shit on Apple, just like a lot of YouTubers. And I'm not blaming them. We'll just make an anti-NVIDIA video out of left field just because they know they'll get a bunch of clicks from the AMD guys. Yeah. And, or vice versa. And, and I like saw I first saw this on Facebook, like a bunch of people laughing at the price gouging. And I feel like they were confused about the fact that this has 1.5 terabytes of... They, I think they thought they yeah. were saying they were charging $20,000 for 1.5 terabytes of SSD storage. <laughs> but yeah, it. I, I priced it out. The point is... Yeah. <laughs> so they're selling a $40,000 worth of components for only like a 20, 30% markup. That's not that bad considering what the components are, too. Custom Vegas. Yeah. That cut, you know, a really cool and sleek chassis. I know people make fun of it for being a cheese grater, and I have seen several websites try to use it as a cheese grater, <laughs> to which they said it was a nightmare to clean, by the way. <laughs> Um, but it takes up a very small amount of space. From what I've heard, it's actually easy to upgrade the components in oh. it. Like Apple actually did insist yeah, on it. Yeah, I've seen. Like it's not a bad, so our point is, you guys just can't auto shit on Apple. And you know, it was a lot of the lazier websites. I didn't see a lot of the good websites. What is it? What do I want to say? A lot of the more reputable websites shitting on it. A lot of the more reputable websites actually liked the Mac Pro because they understood how expensive it was to make. It was all these really, really lazy, frankly, console first websites that don't know what they're or doing. Just, <laughs> Verge. Or just sites that I, I, I don't know why they report on tech because it's always bad like Forbes. Forbes always does bad tech articles. <laughs> CNBC yeah. always does bad tech articles. But yeah, um, to talk about the upgradable like chassis like there's just a little knob that you twist on the front and then you just pull the entire shroud of the case off and all of the components i believe are like have their own special like node thing so you can just slot it in really easily so it's a cool it's Mm -hmm. a really cool pc i'm not going to buy it because i don't need (laughs) 1.5 terabytes of ddr's for ecc memory but if you need it Yeah, and I also saw that Dell charges $90,000 for a similar system right yeah. now. So, isn't it, it's actually somehow Apple's like Do- probably was was too nice about it like they realized if they charge more for this that people will like we can't make this 100,000 and so they actually made it somewhat reasonable for a fully decked out Apple device. Yeah. Um the one thing I will say that is painfully absent is Threadripper. There should be a 64-core Threadripper for the price of this thing. Yeah, because we didn't say the it uses a 28-core Xeon. Yeah, I I really think it comes down to Apple keeps trying to get away from Intel. And at the same time, Intel keeps pretty much giving them away for free. And Intel actually does make the perfect, you know, x86 processors for their compact laptops. So they might as well just do a bundle deal and buy all Intel still. Well, they slowly try to make an architecture and get their operating system ready to just work only on their chips. I do see that's what's happening. Yeah. But it's kind of this chicken and egg thing where the reason they don't go to AMD is they don't want to have to support AMD <laughs> products with new drivers and stuff. But at the same time, it's uh, 
they can't quite get it to the point where they can switch to their own stuff only. Yeah. But anyways, let's move on to story number four. TSMC is starting five nanometer iPhone production in quarter two of this year. Woo! I mean, I'm surprised how fast they were able to get to five nanometer. Well, they got to seven nanometer last year, right? Uh, 2018. 2018. Oh, okay, so I guess two years isn't bad. So two years later. No, but no that's pretty standard. Better though. than Intel. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is the thing. So if they're doing iPhone production, just like they were doing iPhone production, I don't remember exactly when, of 7 nanometer for, you know, I'd say, yeah, I think 2021 we can get some 5 nanometer graphics cards and processors. Um. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it seems like that's definitely a real possibility. And this is why, you know, a couple of videos recently I've been really emphasizing um, that you can't just say Intel needs to just get to 7 nanometer because they're supposedly getting there in 2022. They need 10 nanometer to be a fully functioning node by 2021. So that's competing with 5 nanometer. If they don't, it's going to look so, 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 <laughs> so bad that 2021 and 2022 and 2020, these two years, they are competing with seven, six, and five nanometer products. It will just look, it'll, it'll be terrible. And if they just launch a seven nanometer in 2022, right as TSMC is starting to ramp three? Yeah. I don't know. Because a lot of the decisions you make at these big companies when you switch your servers to Intel or to AMD is, hey, we just want to bet on the right horse that will be the right horse for the next few years. So we're not going to just switch back from AMD now. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They, it's uh, but it is exciting to see how fast we are innovating. Okay, story number five: Tiger Lake leaks again, and as expected, it looks pretty damn impressive. We have a Geekbench score here showing the four-core 1.2 gigahertz chip outperforming a six-core 1.6 gigahertz Comet Lake. I'm so. <laughs> I mean, what do you think about that? If I look at that multi-core score, that's pretty good. I mean, that's yeah. a pretty big deal. I mean, I wish we could get these on desktop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It goes to show, like, and again, I this is what I was told by contacts at Intel as well, that Tiger Lake is not maybe quite as big a deal as Ice Lake in terms of an architectural improvement, but that it's closer to Ice Lake than it is to, like, you know, a... I don't know, Ivy Bridge, and it's going to be, and then, what is it, uh, Sun, not Sunny, Golden Cove after uh, Willow Cove, after Tiger Lake, will be even bigger than that, like as big as Ice Lake again. So I really think Tiger Lake, if it's another 10% IPC increase at least, I mean, so yeah, 1.18, you know, times 1.1. Look, we're already at about a 30% IPC increase over Skylake. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, wait, I guess uh, what was the Tiger Lake core? It was clocked lower. Cl okay. Yeah, and it beat a six core clocked higher. Okay, yeah, so I was going to, I was going to say, I mean. Geekbench isn't the best. That's the one thing I'll say. Yeah. But it is an apples to apples comparison, right? Even if it's not the best benchmark. And so, I mean, I think we could really get to a situation, though, where you have these ultra high. And so let's think about that. Like Ice Lake is probably slightly ahead in IPC compared to Zen 2, like probably very slightly. Depends on the workload, though, because remember, Zen 2 got like a 40 percent IPC increase for certain professional workloads. It really is worth pointing that out. 
But and it depends on the game, too, and how many cores the game uses. But anyways, I could see a situation where I mean, if you yeah, so I could see Tiger Lake maybe catch up to Zen three IPC increase again and they'll still be even in IPC. Yeah, which they could. I, I mean, at some point, at some point, 10 nanometer needs to come. Well, I guess it doesn't need to. But uh, at some point, it better come to desktop uh, 10 nanometer. But and again, before 2022, it needs to come, <laughs> I think, by mid by early 2021. Yeah. It needs to be there when Zen's launching three is launching or this could be an absolute bloodbath. And you know what? That brings us to story number six already. Zen 3, this is the one people keep talking about. Zen 3, supposedly um, 17% increase in IPC, and also rumors of an X670 chipset. The X670 chipset supposedly just being an improved X570, basically the same thing, but maybe some more uh, PCIe lanes, more SATA ports, more USB support. And they're outsourcing the chipsets that they don't also have to produce it themselves. I thought that was a really novel idea, actually, for having the IO die be the same as the X570 chipset. That was a brilliant idea. But I do think it is a better overall plan to have someone else handle that. So there isn't as much of a... Because they're a smaller company. It's hard for them to handle all these logistics themselves. Yeah, so I guess I don't know the full implications of outsourcing. While reading the article, they said the X570 was in produced in-house and then the Mm -hmm. previous chipsets were outsourced as well so i don't know what led to the decision to make the x570 an internally developed uh an internally manufactured uh chipset but well i mean again i think what they that they found a way to use it as the io die too oh okay yeah so that's why it would have been internally developed is they figured they could just use the same io die for that and make even more money directly but that it caused some real logistics problems for them but yeah so and and you know i think i'm i think x670 will be good too i think this should put to rest i think i mean so the i i mean i've done a few videos on this i think x570 is almost as good well it depends how you define good it's better for me (laughs) but almost as good for creators as the what is it x299 chipset that intel has now they have an x299x which has a few more pcie lanes a few more a little bit more io but again the fact that you have pcie 4.0 depending on how many devices you have this could be better or almost the same and most people don't need more than like there's plenty of these creator motherboards i've seen with x570 that have like three pcies like for well and maybe two or three full pcie slots a few mini ones Mm -hmm. two m sata's uh slots a and then eight sata slots mm-hmm. which yeah how so many pcie lanes not m sata m.2 i meant to say yeah yeah um so uh 24 yeah. so which is the equivalent of 48 pcie 3.0 but going to x5 but it's still enough where i think most people it's pretty simple either you want to go all out for threadripper 3000 you want you don't need as much IO. You're okay with eight hard dri- with ten hard drives and three graphics cards <laughs> capabilities of PCIe 4.0, uh, and so you get 3950x, 3900x. Or if you really want to save money, you probably just already have one though, a previous gen Threadripper, yeah. 
which are dirt cheap now. If you just for if you are, and there are people who, if you're doing like audio engineering, probably don't need that fast of a CPU, but maybe you want the 24 cores of a you know 2970 WX, and you want the ability to have 200 hard drives. I have well 20 <laughs> hard drives. 30. I have seen people where they have a giant tower. And there was one guy, I don't know, did you see it, Dan? I don't think I ever sent it to you. He, he literally had the desktop on its side, and he just had, like, racks, multiple towers of yeah, hard drives you, stacked up inside the desktop. You did send me that. Or maybe I saw it on, like, a Linus Tech Tips video where they were sh- showcasing a workstation PC with, like, two like two racks of hard drives in it. <laughs> but if they could just get it so it's, like, 10, 12 USBs, and, you know, tw- 10 SATAs go from 24 PCIe lanes to 32. Mm-hmm. That would be enough yeah. to just completely kill the argument of getting an Intel HEDT system for 2021 instead of a 16-core Zen 3 system. Yeah. So I think it's exciting. Uh, no, it is. Uh, um, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I think for most people, X570 will be fine, though. And anyone with X470 is probably fine if we're being honest <laughs> as well but anyways let us move on to story number seven amd migrating zen one production to 12 nanometer plus zen plus this is one of those things people have talked about you know how is amd going to take real market share in 2020 2021 when they do have again i don't think as many capacity problems as people think but they certainly have some issues like if they want to take market share. Again, for those who don't know, R5 1600s, 14 nanometer chip from 2017, and now they're just straight up producing 12 nanometer Zen Plus CPUs, basically slightly lower clocked 16, uh, 2600s and selling them as 1600s. It shows up in CPU-Z as a 12 nanometer R5 1600. It boosts like 10% higher. It has like the 5% IPC increase. And you can get it for like seventy to eighty-five bucks. Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea because I, I remember there were some discussions of like the at a certain point, uh, AMD's new design philosophy doesn't really scale that well below a certain tar- price point with their new below about a hundred yeah. bucks, right? So their idea is, oh well, we'll just keep producing our older shit, and that also. That has like a hundred percent yields. By yeah, now. that also reduces the any uh, manufacturing limit issues that they have at TSMC on seven nanometers. Just keep producing twelve nanometer CPUs because why the hell not? It's not like if you're buying a seventy dollars CPU, you need the newest uh, features on everything. No, and what I find, um, it, what I find really, really exciting too is what the implications of like. So then, yeah, I expect eventually like one hundred dollar twenty seven hundreds or something. Well, I mean, like, and that's it. Yeah, we're already we're almost already there. Yeah, there. <laughs> but like, to it be like officially like, no, we're just here. You go. Here's the seventy dollar sixteen hundred six cores, twelve threads at about three point nine gigahertz. This is our Pentium competitor. <laughs> I mean, think about how cheap that is too. Like, people were losing their mind. Over the, well, I don't know if it was four thread, I think. Yeah, four thread. So, yeah, two cores with hyper threading Athlon AMD just launched that you can overclock, though. So, it's four threads for 50 bucks and it comes with Vega 3 graphics, which is cool for $50. I mean, an interesting alternative to like an AM1 platform. Mm-hmm. You can get like an A320 motherboard. 
that's like 40 bucks. Like, there you go. But I mean, man, you could also just pay another 40 bucks and drop in triple the cores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, no, it's... Uh, I mean, this is a Pentium destroyer. Yeah, because what are Pentiums? How many cores are, do they have now? Four? And I believe they have select models that are full four okay. cores. I think. I think they've migrated the top one to that and it's overclockable. But this is like that's not even an option. And Intel had a narrow point in time where that higher core IPC compared to Zen Plus, the higher boost clocks mattered for Pentium. It was kind of a cool option. But as time goes on, no, like every application now uses a few cores and it's just not going to cut it. So I wonder, and this is what I'm talking about when I'm like, I don't think those i3s are going to matter. Who chooses a quad core i3, even if it has hyper threading, even if it's at 4.5 gigahertz over like a 4.3 gigahertz, eight core, 16 thread, 2700X for less money. Or the same price. Yeah, I mean, there's it's not really an option anymore. And yeah, like you were saying, you need multiple cores now. I mean, I mean, multiple threads. I'll say I have an i3 on my work computer. And yeah, even doing basic functions, it's almost unusable mm-hmm. at this point. It, like, you need four core. You need, like, more than four cores Eight now. Eight threads. Yeah, ideally eight threads at least. And I, yeah, eight threads isn't ideal at this point, but... <laughs> Yeah, and I would say, yeah, it's no longer, it's now, I would argue, having eight threads means you're mid-range at best. Yeah, definitely. Another thing I want to bring up is I I will not be impressed by a 5 gigahertz, 6-core, 12-thread i5. I won't be impressed because it's not going to be twice as good as that 2700X for $100. It'll be like 20% better at gaming. Well, yeah. Okay, so it, what's the point? It's like what we talked about previously where it's like, yeah, the only intel it's almost getting to this weird point where the only intel cpus that are worth buying are i9s <laughs> yeah and yet they're uh, the laughing stock of a lot of enthusiasts yeah yeah i mean i guess so i wouldn't be surprised how far the floor is gonna go I, i've been saying to people i really think we're gonna get sub 100 four core eight threads that you can overclock to like 4.9 gigahertz sub 100 and i think the i5s to sell well are going to drift below two hundred dollars, and there'll be five gigahertz, twelve threads, like, and I and, and to everyone who thinks you know, like this is going to be a sick gaming processor, it's like you guys got to understand the thirty eight hundred X is already all, like three hundred dollars on Black Friday. Remember? Yeah, we're talking about a situation where when Comet Lake is announced, probably right before this podcast came out, <laughs> like like when they talk about whatever that lineup is, AMD's response can be moving the which we'll see what happens it'd be funny if it happened well they wouldn't probably do it until right before it came out anyways but like amd can move the 3800x to be officially 300 mm-hmm. the 3700x to be 250 the 3600x to be like 180 and the 3600 to be 150 with a 100 2700x yeah um and like how do you comp- like so then where do you put so then the i5 should be 200 bucks for the top, top, top gaming one, although they'll probably get away with selling it for three hundred because it'll be five percent better at gaming or something hilarious compared <laughs> to the thirty eight hundred X. And then you move your eight core i seven, you know, sixteen thread. I mean, where does that go then? Three fifty, at most. Yeah, I hope. Yeah. I mean, and the thirty nine hundred's coming out too. The thirty nine hundred, a lower, a sixty five watt twelve core, probably for four hundred bucks then, undercutting the ten core. 
I mean, yeah. And I think the 3950X will probably just keep its price. But. It's it's like what we've been saying. I mean, Intel is just trying to kind they've been rebranding their top end stuff a lot of the time to try to sell it as a new product like with the multiple SKUs of the 9900 we have now or the 9900K where Intel really does just need to start lowering prices in order to compete with price performance. And yeah, there there's not a strong argument for really any any price point to get Intel anymore, I would say. That, that That's, yeah, and I really want to emphasize why I tweeted this and I said something like, um, no one should be recommending Pentium's i3s or even i5s anymore. And I think it's, I think the Pentiums are self-explanatory when you have $70 to $80, 1600s, duh. Yeah. And then when you have i3s even at $100, you would go, duh, yeah, you want the 2700X over that. Um, but at the same time, even the 16, but even just looking at the 1600, I would choose that over a five gigahertz i3. I mean, if it's half the cost of the i3, if it's the same price, it might be a debate depending on what you run, but it's not. <laughs> and when you look at these i5s, even if that five gigahertz i5 is $200, unless you're doing like 200 hertz gaming, you should be using that extra 130 or $120 and going from like, you know, whatever ends up coming out soon, a 5600 XT to the uh, 5700 XT. Yeah. Or whatever 5800s out by then. Like, and, and that's, I think we're really going to get into this situation that we, if you remember, Dan, in 2012, there was this period of time where Intel's architectures were so overpowered for gaming that you could get a $100 Ivy Bridge i3. Most games use two cores, and it had hyperthreading. It would run every game at 60 hertz, and then you could just throw a 7970 in and play at 1600p. Well, yeah, and there was that time where people only recommended, like, i5s. Even though i3s were sufficient, it's just, well, get an i5 because it's a little better. But, yeah, that's not where we're at anymore. You just literally, like, there, there is an argument for some people to just get, like, a 5700 XT and a 1600 if you're gaming in 4K. If that's what you like, if you like 4K 60, it will run the games at 60 hertz, guys. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and this is an argument Intel can't make, too. The last thing I got to say about this. If you get that 1600 and you got an X470, X370, X570 motherboard, which those will come in down and cost slowly, I think. Like if you get a $150 X570 motherboard, you can wait over a year, maybe two years. And we know in AMD processors go down in price over time, and I think they still will to a certain extent. And you'll just upgrade to like a 3900 for 200 bucks in a couple of years or 4900 yeah. for 400 or something. And that's an option Intel doesn't even offer either. Yeah, I mean, because they allow compatibility for longer as well. So, I mean, that might end up being something I eventually do is like, yeah, upgrade from my twenty seven hundred X to like I don't know a thirty nine fifty. I think everyone should basically be buying sixteen hundreds right now. Is there's no game unless you're doing one forty four hertz. It'll run every game at sixty, and it's you have to remember you can upgrade this. <laughs> yeah, and like upgrade to something substantially more powerful. Where I remember, like back when I got into the into PC gaming, it was kind of like no matter if you had an Intel system, no matter what. CPU you originally got mm -hmm. there was never really a point in time where it would be a good idea to upgrade just the CPU you just 
do a full new system pretty much. Yeah, our cousin Justin was one of the rare situations where it did make sense. I got him oh, a, yeah. a kind of hybrid. I, don't, I forgot the chipset of the motherboard, but I got him one that actually supported PCIe 3.0. And so he mm-hmm. but it was the same price as the motherboard other motherboard, so he got like a i3 2120. Used that for like 6 years and then upgraded to an Ivy Bridge i7 for 100 bucks. That it, this was two years ago, I believe he upgraded too. Yeah, he had a yeah. four sixty in there. Yeah, yeah. So this is also two years ago, and he's still using that Ivy Bridge i seven. And then he got PCIe three activated. Yeah, I've never. Well, now I, I switched from the uh, Phenom Phenom to the pile driver, which was after dropping a Phenom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which we'll cover that in a Dan exclusive episode. We'll do soon in a an exclusive uh, Dan's annoying dealings with PC. All right, let's move on to number eight. Yeah, so this was like a leak, and there's there's been several leaks since I put this part of the uh, script together about how it looks like Intel's graphics are probably going to be somewhat underwhelming. That's disappointing. I can't say it comes as a surprise given how much they've been floundering lately. Yeah, I mean, it's... That's just gonna. I I think that's the thing I pretty consistently said is I know it seems like everyone's like assuming um, Intel will either make the ultimate efficient GPU or what they're gonna make will suck. And I've just always said I don't I don't think either is gonna happen, but I wouldn't rule out either either. Yeah, it's just like they might not be that efficient or that powerful, but they'll probably be an okay price. I don't know. It kind of looks like it's going to just not challenge AMD and NVIDIA's efficiency, which for those, again, I'd be remiss if I don't keep bringing this up. My laptop with an MX250, I mean, I compared it to getting a souped-up APU, and it beat the APUs, most of them, by about 10 20%, but it came with dedicated VRAM which is nice, even though it's only two gigabytes. It's like, well, it's on my laptop. I'm playing games in 720p at low settings anyways. Two gigabytes is still enough for that. And the whole chip uses 10 watts. So you got a 10-watt dedicated graphics card plus a 15-watt quad-core, eight-thread CPU. That's better than getting a 25-watt APU. It's stronger. Yeah. <laughs> and is this? And it doesn't seem like that's going to change too much here. And I wasn't sure. So is this... The... Like so, right now, Ice Lake at twenty five watts is like twenty percent weaker mm-hmm. than an MX two fifty, which again isn't cutting it. But Tiger Lake will probably exceed it. However, by then, I imagine there will be some kind of Turing MX three fit four fifty or something, right? Yeah, and that will for and I mean, look right now what AM, when Nvidia has accomplished. Right now, Nvidia is putting. G- GTX 1650 max Qs in yeah. netbooks all of a sudden. And that's that you know, and that thing performs about as well as a 1050 Ti. That's that's over like that's double an MX250, even the best version of the MX250. So even if they exceed the MX250 by 50%, they're still behind. I mean, yeah, at this point, NVIDIA remains the be- usually the best option if you want a game on a laptop and often the only option which is annoying yeah i know just no any well intel might be trying to compete for that space but it is failing to do so but <laughs> well let's actually then jump ahead just to, to what i labeled as story number 10 since we're perfectly leading into it speaking yeah. of challenging nvidia vega 13 832 stream processor cpu coming with eight cores um yeah yeah uh 
if this is like what 25 watts uh, um i don't know exactly how vega 13 would translate comparably to would compare to like mx250 uh where would that about line oh this will pretty much bury that what they make right now so and here's why it will bury it uh what they make right now i believe stops at about vega 11 Mm -hmm. right so what does that put you like at 704 I think they might have a 768 SP one, like Vega 12. Mm-hmm. So, but those run at about 1200 megahertz. So at that point, you're looking at about RX. Well, yeah, you're you're still looking at something around an RX 550, which is about a GT 1030, which is about an MX 250, and that's what they put in the APUs that they really let run at 25 watts. And even then, they usually still underperform a 25 watt MX 250 a little bit. Because of throttling. What this looks to be is a bit more stream processors and it boosts to 1.5 gigahertz. Okay. At that point, I think you're looking at RX 560 performance, so almost at 1050. And at that point, that, hey, 250s are useless now. MX 250s are useless. Yeah. Those GTX 1050 laptops are stupid. It just depends what they can run this at, like, because they will, of course, have the 15-watt version and the 25-watt TDP up, which, again, I really feel like the key to AMD winning over these laptop contracts is if they can just make one of these APUs actually keep most of its performance at 15 watts because it usually loses 20-30%, and then they actually win some real design contracts that are thin and sleek at the 25-watt mark because there's no reason, right? If my NV13 has a 10-watt graphics card and a 15-watt processor, there's no reason that they can't just build a laptop around a 25-watt APU like the Surface Book did. Yeah. But now, instead of having a quad-core 12 nanometer with, like, Vega 12 graphics or whatever, they'll have a Vega 13 graphics, clock faster with double the cores versus Ice Lake. So I think Tiger Lake better be good because this should bury Ice Lake. Why, and... Tiger Lake is going to be stuck on four cores, though, still, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I don't know exactly how IPC will compare to them, but there's definitely going to be an argument that I I feel like this might be a better option. I guess we'll have to see benchmarks once they come out, but... Bootman writes in, just like you guys can if you support us on Patreon, and he says, Is Intel's financial horsepower, or he actually spells it horsepower, going to Mm -hmm. Dell and HP? Are they trying to keep AMD away from entering a pre-built arena again? Pre-built PCs are over 90% of all PCs. I mean, laptops are, for the moment, the most important market in the PC market. There are only a handful of models that have no Intel and side stickers. Financial ho- is this financial horsepower going on already, or is it my tinfoil hat is too tight? Here in Sweden, Dell is Intel only on CPU, with three SKUs with AMD graphics. Yeah, I imagine in some reason, regions it's much worse for trying to find an AMD product. I can only I can only say that in America it's getting way better. Would you agree, Dan? Yeah, I mean I don't look at pre-builds that much, so I can't speak too much to it, and I don't know. I, I, he's including laptops in that yeah. though, so yeah, and I also don't know how much SKUs vary between regions. Um, I guess they probably do to an extent, but with different partnership deals in different countries, maybe, but um. I don't know. I wouldn't be. I, I guess my. I suspect that there might be some of that going on, but. 
Well, I I guess what I've said the whole time is I just really do not think Intel's going to get away with the shenanigans they pulled in the early 2000s. I know some people say I'm naive, you know, I'm too much of an optimist for saying that. But I mean, the EU is cracking down on business abuse right now. And I just don't think they're going to let them get away with anything close to the same things they did before. Having said that, look, it's not cheating for Intel to give away CPUs. It was cheating for him to pay Dell half a I don't remember what it was. It was half a billion dollars a year to use no AMD products. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, selling CPUs in bulk for a low price, that's not unheard of. And if Intel can offer them the better deal, I would expect a lot of pre-built companies would continue to just use Intel. But, yeah, I mean, I guess what I would say is I know HP uses a lot of AMD processors, at least in the U.S., Relative to other manufacturers. And Lenovo tends to use their GPUs sometimes, I've noticed. Same with Dell. Um, I remember 10 years ago. I No, just, I guess it could be five years ago or four years ago. Like, yes, pile driver, excavator, all, you know, I think there's another one I'm forgetting. <laughs> um, all of these, you know, driver uh, are all, I mean, all these bulldozer-based CPUs were pretty terrible on desktop, but they still made some good APUs. And I remember the last ones they were making. I forgot what it was called. It was like the 9,000-something P or something. Yeah. And I remember trying so, so hard to get one, not for my existing Envy, but I believe oh – God, what? I don't remember. Like just a couple – like just a few years ago, like right before Zen came out – I was looking for these APUs because they boosted to 4 gigahertz. They had four cores. I still think they're four cores, even if the state of California doesn't. (laughs) Um, And they had good integrated graphics. And I just could not find one in a PC. I mean, it's a 25-watt APU. I could not find one in a PC that didn't suck and wasn't bulky and huge. I'm like, why isn't this in? Why can I get? I remember back then, right? Like, why can I get, like, some kind of? gt you know 950 or 950 like a mobile yeah like a 950m and an i7 in a laptop smaller than a single one of these apus that uses half the energy like i just and that's just not the case and it hasn't been for a while right yeah and i noticed amd graphics cards showing up in laptops more and more often even just two years ago yeah, yeah, they seem to be showing up more often now. I think last time I checked, some there were some alternate options with uh, AMD at like they're completely HP. out of high end though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, but yeah, AMD APUs have always been really good in my opinion. Well, not always, but usually are pretty good in my opinion, and I don't understand why we don't see them in more. Uh, well, in more a- laptops. Intel will like. So what Intel will do is they'll give the, they'll sell them the Wi-Fi chipsets, remember, yeah. and all these other things as well. And they'll say, I think they literally had a deal with HP at one point that you can't put a bigger battery, that you have to put bigger batteries in the Intel version. So it doesn't matter if it's less efficient. It'll feel less efficient. Yeah, which... And, you know, <laughs> the, I don't see that anymore. The Surface Book is a fair apples-to-apples version. It costs a bit less, it's a bit weaker, and they didn't gimp it. And... Right now, there are a lot of $600 to $700 Zen Plus APU netbooks that are incredible. They still aren't quite to the level of performance I need, unfortunately. They still tend to give you 256 gigabytes of storage instead of half a terabyte or a terabyte, Mm -hmm. which is what I need for rendering. But it's way better than before. 
Yeah, I mean, as AMD continues to make superior products, uh, it gets to a point where there's it's a bad decision to buy Intel CPUs exclusively. And I mean, we're still not completely there yet because I th- efficiency isn't quite as good at low power with AMD, I think. But for no, not quite yet. But uh, they're getting there. So in the next couple of years, I think I it's guess gonna change. I guess to answer his question, though, I don't think I'm seeing the financial horsepower as a problem quite yet. Yeah, like, that's it, true. It, well, it's not worse than before. Yeah. Like, a- Intel's going to bring the big guns. They're going to try to do bulk deals. But let's keep in mind, they can do bulk deals as they tool up more fabs and just pump out 14 nanometer. They can. Yeah. You know, this is an advantage Intel has. And AMD's dual manufacturing of all of the 7 nanometer capacity they can buy next to a bunch of 12 nanometer chips should at least give them, again, which is something I didn't quite, you know, like when they can have the Halo 3950X or 4950X, and then if you're a budget gamer, they just have as many 12 nanometers as there are people to buy them. I think they'll be able to combat Intel better than they could before, I guess. So yeah, definitely. for now, I'm still optimistic. I'm not seeing it yet. I don't know why in Sweden they don't let you buy AMD, but, you know, <laughs> stuff like that happens. Yeah. All right. Blokes also writes in and he says the 5500 XT makes sense as a card at its current price if and only if it has an actual input latency advantage over the older Vega and Polaris offerings. That's true. I bet at the same frame rates, it feels a little smoother. Uh, it is, and they continue to lower latency kind of every Radeon gen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whether this is true, whether this is true against Turing cards, well, I'm not the one to tell you. And uh, no, I'm not endorsing you go out and buy an RX 660. That's what he's calling the <laughs> newer cards because they changed the name. Unless you play competitive games with dumpstered settings, at which point a snappy card for half the price for 5700 is bearable. Said, fun fact, the 470 was available for as low as 110 right now before the mining wave hit. I remember that. Remember the ARX 470s for like $110 on Newegg? Yeah. I mean, hey, on the converse side of that, whenever a mining wave ends, you can always get a lot of really cheap graphics cards. <laughs> kind of. We're not seeing that dropping in price we saw before, though. Yeah. But it's because mining didn't lose its profitability as quickly. And I don't know. I mean, with how much more expensive new cards are it's kind of keeping the used card prices up a little bit more like i'm a little surprised we don't have like 50 470s yet we might though actually yeah. i haven't checked or maybe we will soon anyways though number 10 is let's talk about the 5500 xt 5600 i don't want to spend too much time on this i've done videos about it but you know what is what are your thoughts dan on the 5500 xt um i don't have too many thoughts on the 5500 xt to be honest i feel like the 5600 xt is a kind of weird card but get with the same amount of uh stream processors as the 5700 but yeah well so but let's just go one by one though so the 5500 xt i mean it is of course the, the, the only thing I can say about what I would call, I think a lot of people are giving the 5500 XT a lot of crap for its price, which it's, nope, it's not a great price. <laughs> but then they see me say it's not that bad compared to NVIDIA. And they're like, why are you always defending AMD? And I'm going to be honest. I see the 5500 XT as just the 1650 Super round two. Like everyone was like, oh, look, the 1650 Super is actually closer to a six, is like a 1664 gigabyte. And now it's $170, $150. Isn't that amazing? And I'm like, I mean, look, it's better than the original 1650, which was one of the worst <laughs> cards in history. So that's not saying much, though. And I mean, the 580, it's just a 580, the 1650 Super is just a 584 gigabyte. 
Yeah. Uh, or 574 gigabyte, more like, um, for more money than those. And so then I see the 5500 XT come out, the four gigabyte versions, like the same price as the 1650. And then the eight gigabyte version is $30 more. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's just another 1650. Yeah, I, I, I know. <laughs> it's not worse. It's not worse than what NVIDIA is doing. I'm not defending AMD. I'm just saying I don't think anyone should be buying any of these cards. But I found it really weird, <laughs> really weird how many reviewers were like the 1650 Super fixes the situation. And then the 5500 XT comes out. Same exact card. And they just go, well, this isn't enough. And how many comments I've seen where it's like, well, AMD needs to drop the price for coming out later. Why? I mean, they're are, both on the market at the same time. Y- Who cares? Yeah, that that's a nonsensical argument. I mean, I guess you could have gotten it earlier, but if they're selling them for the same prices, if you're buying them right now, what makes one the better option than the other, really? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the 5500 XT, I really believe it's just best yields going to Apple, 100-watt yields going to OEMs, and then the 150-watt Garbo yields are just clocked higher than the, yeah, than the OEM 5500s, and... They just don't care if you buy them. They're probably supplying a small amount to Newegg. They don't care. They they want you to keep buying Polaris anyways. They made this to have an OEM competitor to the 1650. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Polaris isn't expensive to make right now. So you can still buy. And, and what I said in the Discord, I think last night was, I just don't get why anyone's mad. It's not like the second this came out, all Polaris cards disappeared from the planet. <laughs> Yeah, like, and I've been saying you should have bought those forever. Uh, so many people were like, "Should I wait for this? Wait for that?" I'm like, if you're on, a, if you have a card you like, and you're considering a Vega card or Navi, I would say the Navi's will be better if you can wait, but not substantially better price performance. And then I said, but the smaller ones, dude, you're never going to beat the eighty dollars used five eighty eight gigabytes. So just buy that right now if you <laughs> actually, if you actually care about price performance, go buy that right now. Yeah. But so. What do you think about the 50... So let me, let's me let move on to the 5600 XT quick. What I think about that is... I, it kind of answers my question. Because when I saw like 90% yields, I'm like, okay, so that means... <laughs> they have plenty of full 5700 XTs. The bad clocking ones that can just disable the inefficient parts of the die and sell it as a 5700. Any defective parts of 5700. They probably have almost no yields... For something cut down below a 5700, which tells you again why they didn't cut it down much. Because they were getting good yields out of the gate. Maybe expensive, but their yields aren't bad. And so this explains everything. No, no, no. Here's how they're making a cheaper card. Same amount of cores, but they're the worst clocking yields. And they'll just save 20 bucks on RAM or something. Yeah, is it that there is less RAM or is it like... Some of the RAM is disabled, or well, I no, guess it's just we don't. less. RAM. Okay, <laughs> we wouldn't surprise me if AMD pulled another four four eighty four gigabyte though. And <laughs> at first, was selling a few of them that you could flash to a fifty seven hundred. So I guess look out for that, people. Yeah, but, maybe uh, that will come out, but uh, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, look, the same amount of cores probably won't clock quite as high, and then you know three three fourths the bandwidth. I mean, yeah, you're looking at. 20% let like you're looking at probably something narrowly behind the 2060. Yeah. <laughs> and on laptops, it'll probably be the same performance as a mobile 2060. Yeah. And for what, like 300 bucks, probably? Yeah, they say 270 to 300. So I, I, I really think it's funny how a $20 bill makes such a difference. Well, I mean, that $20 bill makes it the 100 space go up by one. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, 
if they sell it for 280, I just don't see the complaints. Look, the 5700's been hovering in the low 300s, sometimes even at 300, even 290, I think, once coming mm. with games. Yeah, you should get that over it. Why are they releasing this? Because they can keep the f- price floor of this low, and if it if it you know doesn't sell that well, they can just keep it at around two fifty street price, three hundred dollars, fifty seven hundred. They needed some answer to the sixteen hundred, is what it comes down to, and the fifty five hundred XT wasn't quite going to be enough. Yeah, I guess that's unfortunately because yeah. they didn't release the full die. If it was the full die, I could have seen it competing with it. Yeah, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, whatever they come out with after this i guess but yeah do the people complaining you know why is it only 50 dollars cheaper and it's like well it's gonna be you know 20 percent less performance for about 20 percent less money and because it's a com- real competitor the six gigabyte which annoys me 2060 launch for 350 and you can still find them for 380 that's why this is 300 they're competing with nvidia and if you go well it's coming out later yep it's cheaper yeah i i, I don't know it's why are the they priced the way they are because that's the world yeah. we're in. <laughs> <laughs> That's the world we live in. Everyone should have bought R nine three eighties for two hundred dollars instead of three fifty nine seventies. They didn't. Yep. So this is where we're at. <laughs> Anyways, let us move on. We are almost done. Number twelve. I added this at the last minute because it's hilarious. Intel is using AMD systems to uh, test their new Gen four Optane SSDs. <laughs> Because they just don't have a Gen 4 platform yet. This reminds me of when AMD and every benchmark for like the 290X was forced to use like a i7. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of ridiculous, but <laughs> they don't have anything to test them with. So I guess they're going to be a purchaser of AMD CPUs. I don't know. Yeah, that's one that even Intel needs them. Uh, that was one thing I heard. I, I was told by one of the Intel contacts is to be clear. Intel thinks it was a massive mistake not putting Gen four on on. Well, yeah, not bringing Gen four to either like a two ninety nine X HDT motherboards, nor putting it on Comet Lake. They really, really, really know they fucked up. I mean, that makes like it. It looks bad. It just looks. That bad. makes no sense, especially considering that. Intel has generally been the leader in bringing at least those new technologies to their uh, chipsets. Yeah. Like, they're always, they've always been the leaders, and it makes sense because they're, I mean, they help develop some of them. They have the money to yeah. do, yeah. And, and like, they just straight up skipped it. it and, and, and it makes sense. We get why the 8700K didn't support it. Like, that was already in development and blah, blah, blah. But when they got to the 9900K, it's like, they should have... Like, even, I don't know, the fact that Comet, like, the 10 core is going to launch with just PCIe 3.0 is just a massive dent in its, it just doesn't, it just looks like, and that, it's it's little things like that, like the security problems, the lack of the newest PCIe gem. I don't upgrade often. This 3950X, I bought it now because this is it. This is the only chance I get to upgrade, and it took me an entire day, and it was exhausting. And, hey, I'm able to make videos now right when everyone is, you know, back from the holidays. Like, I had to upgrade now. And even if that 18-core Cascade Lake X was actually out, not just a paper launch, and it was, like, it would have had to have been, like, half the price for me to even consider it. Just because, yeah, I just, these little things, like, I know Gen 4 SSDs aren't needed right away. But what if they, what happens when the next-gen consoles come out? I'm not going to tear down my system and build a new one. And people say that, but... You know, that doesn't work for me. Yeah, I mean... It just... I'm not buying inferior technology, guys. 
Yeah, I I mean, it really just doesn't make sense, like, selling what you call a premium product and then not having full features. That's just stupid. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so that's my last tech-related article, pretty much. Uh, We do have one more, though, damn. And everyone will want to go click on this as the bottom link in the description. Well, a decade's over. It's 2020. And TechSpot put together this fun article where they're like, uh, what were the best? Uh, several websites have been talking about this too, not just TechSpot. Like, what were the best things you could have bought a decade ago? And uh, guess what it is, Dan? I couldn't guess. <laughs> Bitcoin. Yeah, I know. yeah, that's right. I just had to throw this article in at the very end because it wouldn't be a broken silicon if there wasn't some reference to Bitcoin. Yeah, there's not. Too much to talk about. We missed the first Bitcoin boom, but like you can hate on it as much as you want. But at the end of the day, the decade's over. It is a fact that would have been the best thing you could have bought 10 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know how you would have bought it, though. It was hard to buy it back then. That's the one thing I'll give us credit is it's like I know we didn't get into Bitcoin. We were aware of it like in 2012. So we'll we'll say that. But like we didn't really get into it until like the, the next iteration. And uh if we would have gotten it in 2012, though, we probably would have had to have dealt with Mount Gox. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mount And all that other junk. Mount Gox. Maybe not, though. I never leave stuff in exchanges. So. Mount Gox, the thing that you'll see referenced in every article by CNBC about Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a shoo-in for them. All right. One, let's get through just a couple reader mails before we get the heck out of the longest episode in history. Hey, So Ikes writes in, just like you guys can if you support us on Patreon. He goes, less of a question, more of a suggestion. Have you ever talked to Wendell of Level 1 Techs? I think he would be a great personality for your podcast. And uh, yeah, I think he's on my list of people to reach out to. So I have NFC Tech coming at the end of January. This is coming out. What will it be, Dan? Was it the 8th? Yeah, this will come out. This should come out the 8th on the Hitchhiker feeds. And... Um, I'm trying to get Cortex in January as well. And it's just, you know, I think the pattern we've discovered is pretty much perfect, I think. News every two weeks, and it's jam-packed, and we have fun. Um, And then a guest in between with a die shrink that week as well, pretty much. And that's the pattern that I think we're going to stick to this year. We're really standardizing things. But, you know, do suggest this. I have a... Uh, in the Discord, you know, you can either use the Patreon DM service... If you're at the proper level, or you can use the Discord channels regarding reader mail. And we have suggestions for stories, and you can also just put in general, you know, reach out to this guy. Mm-hmm. And I will. Eventually, I will reach out to these people. And I guess that's the last thing I'll say, too, is you guys can send us the stories. I know that people share stories all over the Discord, but if there's a specific story you guys really want us to talk about, and it's been like a week since the last episode came out, that means we're probably about to start planning the script for the next one because we basically take a week off and then we start planning the script and then we record it a few days before it comes out put it in the reader mail we don't we know we talk about what we find we like reading this news just as much as you guys but we might miss something so yeah i don't have too much did you see (laughs) (laughs) yeah so another last reader mail comes from essen and he says your reaction to this did you watch that video dan (laughs) i think i did it's the undervolting one right no, it's the plunder vault. Someone put together like a yo ho, yeah, yo yeah. ho, the plunder vault for me, yeah, yeah. so you can understand Intel's latest vulnerability. <laughs> so now they're writing songs about how to remember which Intel vulnerability. 
I mean, at I least it's a public a out, Essen. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was funny, Essen. So I thank you for submitting that. And again, this link will be in the description. I guess this will actually be the last link after the Bitcoin one, if you guys want to listen to it. Um. Anyways, <sighs> that's it, Dan. We did it. It's all the stories, all the reader mail. Again, I there's a lot of reader mail that I've funneled into upcoming die shrinks and broken silicon episodes. You will hear them there. Don't worry, I see them. Um. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, I want to. It's been this is the start of the first real year. You know, by the end of January, there will be a new after credits. Like information boosts, like with trademarks and P.O. Box. Again, the P.O. Box will be in the description. You can send us stuff. Um, we're growing up, and we wouldn't have gotten here if it wasn't for all of you in 2019. Some of you have been with me since, for since a while. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, when I started the Patreon, I think it was May or March last year. I honestly don't remember. Well, when did we start like doing that? the podcast? I think we started in May, right? Yeah, I think we started in May or June. Yeah, that sounds right. Like end of May, I believe. Maybe beginning of June. And no, we're not. The broken silicon technically is not a year old. Um, yeah, I guess. I w- should we celebrate one year after it came out, or should we celebrate fifty-two episodes? I, well, I think let's do one year. One year, fifty-two episodes will be two years. Well, no, fifty-two episodes will be like a no, year. And at a, first, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, the the release schedule was fucky at first. So, it, well, I mean, the more you guys supported us, we accelerated the amount of content and stabilized it, and. You know, if you want more content, again, I have to be clear, it is the patrons making this possible. It is the ones paying for now having a P.O. box. It is the ones paying for um, having the ability to host both free feeds and Patreon feeds and uh, have a sound editor, have Dan come here and put some time into helping me. All of this is possible. You know, it really is the patrons. So if you got any extra scratch, you know, throw it at my back. Oh. Scratch, scratch, yeah, scratch yeah. at my back. Scratch, scratch back. Scratch. All right. <laughs> We're exhausted. Um, I think that's going to do it. Dan, do you have any last words? Uh, th- thank you all. Well, I'm excited well, for wait, our but, first full year. Wait, I need to cut you off quick because I'm Tom. So... Before we get to the last words, though, I will also say one more time. Hey, we, we're aware this is coming out during CES and that it might not have some things. But I think at a certain point, we just need to release episodes. And we are just going to standardize things. Whatever is there, basically, up into the Friday, Saturday, or Sunday that we record, that's what goes in it. Don't worry. We'll cover it the next episode with whatever guests there or whatever. Yeah, and we did kind of take a month-ish off, so. <laughs> yeah, so. So, I mean, I, we had too much to cover anyways. There's no point in delaying it till Monday or something. Silly. And I really don't like recording on weekdays, so. Yeah. Not these full episodes. It's too long. Yeah. All right. Now, Dan, have your last words. Uh, thank you all. Hey, so just one more thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all. I'm excited for a full year. <laughs> wow. That was awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't have much else to say but i think i can I think keep Dan making is this forgetting awkward. how to talk D- at this point arm <laughs> arm okay all right thanks for listening everybody have a wonderful rest of your week bye 
Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast, is brought to you by me, Tom of Moore's Law is Dead. And by now, you've probably noticed this is a platform, a platform that can be found with all of its content, including articles, GPU rankings, videos, and podcasts at www.moreslawsdead.com. And at this website, you can also find links to my other people who help out, because this is a team now. I have to thank my co-host and brother, Dan. He is behind research, production, and most of my giggles, if I have to admit it. Uh, Gerard Cortez edits the podcast and can be found at gerardsounds at gmail.com for business inquiries. Carbon Cry assistant editing can be found at carboncry at gmail.com for his business inquiries. And of course, the most important thing to mention is that this is almost entirely fan-supported. What you see would not exist without my amazing fans that prop us up and support us with pieces of the Patreon pie. Does that make sense? Patreon pie? I don't know. For just $1 a month, you get access to a Discord of like-minded people that I know would love to speak with you. And for $2 a month, you get access to an exclusive podcast, Die Shrink. If you like this podcast, this is an even more in-depth, eclectic discussion about things going on in the technology fields. And of course, higher higher tiers get access to Reader Mail, early commercial-free content. Higher tiers get access to Reader Mail early commercial-free content, and much more. But you know what? If you're a moocher, I get it and I won't judge. But please consider doing your part and sharing our content with your friends and other online communities, and especially leaving reviews for Broken Silicon on your favorite podcast platform. But now it's time to forget you, moochers, and honor the best of our contributors. The following patrons are at the 10 gigahertz or higher production tiers. You are immortalized forever, my comrades, as part of the TechTuber revolution. Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, Tomas Paraz, Jesse Blanton, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Carbon Cry, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Call Marco, Phil S., Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Larry Hoskins II, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Bollocks, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Schof, Frederick Lau, Alexander Dolar, Alethros, Telos, Kaiden, Greg T. Wanter, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Winnie Care Bear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rounder, Rubber Ducks, Michael Costa, Allie Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Sadler, Sadler, Fatboy Diesel, and Crizen Team. Thank you all for the support, and thank you to Sahara for the music.